Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. And the board are accountable for signing off on the risks um, and the control framework that they have in place. The whole point about, you know, explainability is really like, can I... Can I demonstrate if I'm working the business to my board that I understand my risks and I've got an appropriate control framework? And if I can't, you're going to fail. And 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 obviously, you know, regulators are interested in understanding. Well, you know, why have you um, assessed the risk in the way that you have? Now, what risk indicators have you um, used to derive the risk profile that you've got? What data have you gathered um, to actually inform the decisions? You know, what gaps have you found in your risk assessment in terms of control framework that you might not have? Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor of the GRC Professional Magazine and GRC Professional Online. And today we have Anthony Quinn, who is the CEO and founder of Arctic Intelligence. Hi, Anthony. Hi, Kwame. Thanks for having me along. So I guess we should really start with what is Arctic Intelligence? So Arctic Intelligence is essentially a regulatory technology company based in Sydney um, that essentially looks at uh, developing audit risk and compliance technology uh, in the financial crime prevention space. Okay, pretty. Um, uh, Yeah, so you've been around, how long has it been around? So I, uh, my background, I spent 20 years consulting to different investment retail banks and ended up running the anti-money laundering program at both Macquarie, uh, Macquarie Bank and also their tax evasion compliance program. So I set the business up towards the end of um, November 2015, um, essentially to look at a couple of areas where I felt there was uh, a gap in the technology capabilities and one of those areas was really looking at enterprise risk assessment around financial crime and the other was around audit and, sh- audit and assurance capabilities in that, in that area. And so we've built a number of um, platforms that help regulated businesses across a whole range of different industry sectors to understand their risks and document that an AML program that's proportionate and appropriate to the risks that they face um, and, and really designed to help um, regulated businesses to really lift the game in terms of understanding their capability and you know, in, improving their capability and capacity of their organisations through technology. Well, today we're, I guess this is a really interesting time in AML and AML regulation and compliance. I mean, we've, we've seen some record-breaking fines as well as it looks like Afterpay is sort of in Austrac's gun sites as well in terms of their own obligations. So I guess today we're going to talk a little bit about AML programs and more specifically around um, explainability and defendability. So I guess in that context, what is explainability and defendability? So I think if you take a step back and really understand like the like the context of an AML program, so essentially uh, board directors are essentially accountable for if they're if they're providing designated services uh, in the Australian marketplace, they are essentially regulated businesses, right. and as such, a regulated business and the board of directors of those businesses are essentially accountable for making sure that they have an adequate AML program in place. And so, where we talk about things like you know auditability and explainability, it's really having a, a fully documented um, program. And what I mean by that is. Um, and obviously, the regulations here are are risk based, and that's premised on the on the on the understanding that these organisations that are regulated really understand their vulnerability to money laundering, and so that really um, requires them to have a a risk appetite, 
that's articulated and documented and it requires them to have a, a detailed understanding of their risk exposures. So what they need to do is really understand, you know, what is really the nature, size and complexity of the organisation that they are running and their operations and they need to then have a, a framework that is um, it steps through looking at, well, what, what's my operating environment? You know, what's my vulnerability to certain types of predicate offences or vulnerability to money laundering or terrorism financing or, or sanctions or even regulatory non-compliance? Do I really understand that? Um, and then they, they need to really understand, you know, who, who are my customers? You know, where are they located? What do they do? You know, what types of customers do I service? Are they individuals or companies or trust? What proportion of my customer base is by which type of customer? Um, and, you know, do I, do I understand how many politically exposed persons I have? Um, do, I under, do I really understand the inherent nature of the products and services that I offer and the certain vulnerabilities that are sitting inside those products that make them more attractive to money launderers? And then how do I actually distribute my products in the marketplace? Do I do that through face-to-face -face means? Do I have any third-party intermediaries introducing um, clients into my organisation? Like how do I distribute my products? You know, what channels am I using? And, and so you look at... You know, anonymous um, channels that, that are higher risk um, because obviously they don't have the same level of interaction with customers. Um, people need to sort of understand their internal business risk exposure. So if they're, um, you know, what's their geographic footprint? Are they only domestically based in Australia? Do they have overseas offices? You know, if so, which locations are those offices? Which locations are those customers uh, sitting in? And what's the geographic kind of risk exposure? And obviously, a lot of um, organisations outsource certain parts of their AML control um, framework. So, you know, really, what are my risks associated with outsourcing? What do I outsource? Do I have adequate oversight of those outsource arrangements? Um, and then, and then understanding, you know, what are the internal business risk exposures that I've got from an employee risk perspective. Like, who do I have operating in a key risk role and a function? What functions can they perform? And what? Um, makes them more vulnerable to, to money laundering. Um, so it's really about having a, a proper and a deep understand, understanding of the risk profile of the organisation. And then once you do have that, it's really around, well, does that sit within the risk appetite of that organisation or not? And if it doesn't, you obviously need to implement a control framework that actually looks at deeply around the risks that you might have um, in all of those areas um, to be able to de design and implement and maintain, which is important, um, appropriate and proportionate controls. So there's no point in understanding your risk and saying, okay, well, you know, we've actually got high, high risk, um, but then you're not actually doing anything to mitigate and manage that risk. So the, the whole concept around explainability and defendability is that because the risk assessment is at the heart of any AML program and the board are accountable for signing off on the risks um, and the control framework that they have in place, mm. the whole point about you know, explainability is really, like, can I, can I demonstrate if I'm working the business to my board that I understand my risks and I've got an appropriate control framework? And if I can't, you're going to fail. And, and, and obviously, you know, regulators are interested in understanding, well, you know, why have you um, assessed the risk in the way that you have? You know, what risk indicators have you um, 
use to derive the risk profile that you've got? What data have you gathered um, to actually inform the decisions? You know, what gaps have you found in your risk assessment in terms of control framework that you might not have? What are you actually going to do about them? What commitment are you going to make? Mm. Um, and so, so this is about a, a, a about a process and being able to stand up, put your hand up, put an a, you know an explainable and plausible defendable something that you believe in you, you can't just come out and say yeah we're low risk um and people are going to say well well how did how on what basis on what grounds and if you if you're unable to explain that and articulate the process that you've gone through to uh, implement the risk assessment um and the control framework that you've got in place then you, you're going to fail and I guess that's some of the challenges that we have been seeing. Um, it's just on that very, very basic risk assessment level, and it's quite a, a lot to, to get a hold of. Well, yeah, yeah. I, mean, it's, I mean, it's worrying because the Australia's businesses have been regulated for 13 years. The risk assessment is at the heart of any program. So, they, so basically, if you don't understand your risks, how the hell can you put a, an AML program in place that is, is actually got the right controls addressing the right risks? Um, and that's one thing. But the second thing is that it's not just a tick-the-box exercise, right? Because you're understanding that everything is changing always. So the, the business, the nature of business is are changing all the time. They're launching new products. They're going into new markets. They're, you know, they're exposed to different types of customers, um, you know, and so on. The, the, threat, the threats in terms of the operating environments constantly changing in terms of vulnerabilities of products. You know, there's a, a new and emerging technologies and, and channels and, and, and vulnerabilities that expose the, the country risk profiles are changing continuously. So I think where people get this wrong is that they, one, they don't really understand, you know, the importance of a risk assessment. Mm. They don't understand how to do a risk assessment. If they do, it's generally fairly primitive and not well documented, or it's or it's documented in in spreadsheets, um, and and they fall down in terms of well, it's not really maintained as the business evolves. You know, what are the triggers that prompt people to reassess their risk um, and basically continue to maintain that as an embedded um, process inside their business. So we've addressed issues with risk assessments. We've addressed issues with the ongoing, active reassessing all the time. Yeah. Um, is there anything else in particular that you think organisations are getting wrong? Yeah, in I that think. Context? I mean, I, I mean, I, I, we we see time and time again, even um, like complex organisations, and I think the the more com- more complex the business, the the harder it is to really understand and articulate. So, and if you if you kind of um, split this into two parts, you've got you know, small to medium-sized businesses that really lack the capacity and capability to understand how to construct a, an AML risk assessment framework. And so they're, they're obviously where they're coming at it from a, a fairly basic understanding of risk management, uh, typically. And, and they might understand all the inputs into a risk assessment, like, oh, I need to look at customer risk, I need to look at product risk channel or whatever. Um, but they don't understand, well, how do all these things interrelate with each other and how can I um, document that appropriately to a level that a regulator would expect? So that that's typically the challenge in terms of raising the capability set. With the larger organisations, obviously they've got you know a lot of risk and compliance staff that have got experience in this. The challenges that they face is really the complexity of their business, mm. right? And it's, it's obviously... The, the, the less subjective you can get the risk assessment and more objective based on the data that you have, 
Um, and that, that's complex. So if you look at you know some of the major banks, they've got 30 million customers, you know, with many, many millions more accounts and billions of transactions, and they're operating in across you know 250 different products right. in 10 different geographies, and um, things are constantly moving. The regulations are changing. The risk profile is changing. So the challenge that that they have is you know is a bit more amplified than some of the small to medium sized businesses. So so where they struggle is being able to um, to embed. Uh, this is a stable part of their of their business, so that when a trigger change or, or somebody wants to launch a new product, they're going to a new market, or the new bits of new regulation are, are issued, or new threats and vulnerabilities are understood. How do you actually fold that into an ongoing, repeatable, maintainable process that is at the heart of your AML program? So I think that even within the same topic, you've got different challenges depending on the, the size and complexity of the organisation. Oh, okay, definitely. And I think another thing, you mentioned the regulator in there, and I think one of the ways organisations can do better in their programme is sometimes that it comes out with their engagement with the regulator, and yeah. in Australia's case, the engagement with Austrac. So I guess the other question is, what do you see in terms of how organisations engage with Austrac? Do you think they're their engagement is on this on the level and they're really trying to get the information that they need to build a better program or do you feel like there's something wrong with that communication um i, I mean my general feel of and we've spoken to hundreds of different reporting entities across the market is there is a, a large um there's large scale non-compliance yeah. in a whole range of industry sectors like there's there's basically fourteen thousand seven hundred reporting entities in australia not every one of them speaks to Austrac every five minutes. Not everyone has got even a basic risk assessment program, a basic program. Um, not every one of them has got a good understanding of their risk profile. And and I think because of the the enforcement framework um, over the last thirteen years, there's very very little cases in terms of um, pressure being applied to um, regulated firms. And so. There's a lot of people that I think have been sort of flying under the radar thinking, well, I'm too small, Austrac are never going to come knocking on my door. Um, and if you actually look at some of the sectors that are vulnerable to money laundering, like you look at financial services, you know, it's not just the banks. There's credit unions, you've got money remittance network providers, of which there's about 4,500. You've got, you know, leasing companies, stockbroking firms, hedge funds, wealth advisors, investment managers. Um, you know, some of those businesses are very, very small. Um, they don't necessarily have the skills or the, or, the, or, the, or the capacity. So I think, you know, I think there's been a lot of people flying under the radar. You look, you look at other sectors, um, which are really, I think, high risk and vulnerable sectors to money laundering. Um, you look at the hotels, pubs and clubs sector, for example, like there are 1,650 clubs uh, in Australia and 3,000 pubs that have got more than 15 poker machines. Some of those have got hundreds and hundreds of poker machines and they're making you know, tens and tens of millions of dollars every year in poker gaming revenue. Um, and, and basically there's not been a single club in that, that's had any heat put on it in yeah. terms of the from the regulator, so people out in in certain sectors are seeing, you know, no enforcement action, no activity, no pressure, no, and and they're thinking that's good enough, and yeah. it's not good enough, um, and and we're basically, um, we've got a long long way to go, I think, before people are fully meeting their AML compliance requirements. Right. 
I mean, in terms of um, people's engagement with Austrac, I mean, one thing I would say is that, you know, Austrac share the same objectives that regulated businesses have, which is essentially to help prevent the money laundering problem in Australia. So there's a shared goal, right? So they're not actively out trying to look to catch people out and things like that. What they're actually looking for is, is for engagement. Um, I'd really commend them for all the work that they've done in terms of regulatory outreach. So they're, they, they're running a lot of, um, obviously they've traditionally dealt with you know, major reporting entities, but you've seen a lot of guidance that's coming out from the regulator in terms of typologies for certain industry sectors, uh, a lot of uh, in, industry education sessions and things like that. So they've got to be commended for that. Um, there's obviously regulatory, there's sort of outreach to reg tech technology firms. So we've been involved in quite a few of the, the round tables and workshop discussions around risk assessment and things like that. And I think that is really helping them to develop a much better understanding of the types of technology and capability that is out in the marketplace. Um, that that So when they're getting, um, I guess, pushback or they're, you know, oh, you can't do this, you know, it's, it's costly for the industry sector, you know, they can see that there are cost-effective tools out there that can help raise the bar. Right. Um, and also, I think, generally, I think the the standards of AML advice that have been sitting out in the market for the last 12, 13 years is, is a bit patchy. Mm. I think there's a lot of um, so lawyers or, or consultants that might not be up to scratch in terms of keeping their programs current or the methodology, but they're they're managing to um, to win work on off some of the regulated businesses and produce risk assessments and programs that are either outdated or not really fit for purpose. And so, Austrac yeah. are recognising that there's a gap in terms of the the advi- the advisors to those regulated businesses and making sure that they are up to the task. And so, I think you know a whole range of um, initiatives that they've got going, and I. I, I and I think they're they're very approachable. So if you if you're if you're not understanding what your ex, what the expectations are, or you think you've got an issue. There's definitely there's like help helplines and things like that. And they publish a lot of good guidance on their on their website as well. So you know for all, any reporting entities that are listening, you know I think there's a lot of resources that are available to you to to help raise the game on on AML compliance. And I guess to be fair as well, they have reached out to pubs and clubs. Um, I think that they have been working to sort of establish a relationship with them as well as the digital currency exchanges. As they well. they have, but if you think about it, right, yeah. the, the those sectors have been regulated for thirteen years. Yeah. Thirteen years, and and some of these clubs have got seven or eight hundred million dollars in cash going through them every year mm. and they have done for the last 12 or 13 years and you look at the high risk sectors like that one in particular they're they're kind of open 24 7 they're in yeah. you know or they're open long 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 hours or open on the weekends they serve food they're you know they're dotted up and down the country you know like it's uh, it's kind of a money laundering paradise you know like you know you can bet you know, large sums of money and things like that. So I really think from a regulatory enforcement perspective, whilst they've got an you know, education and awareness, they've, they really have not done anything in this yeah. space. And, and I think that is exposing Australia to huge risks. And I guess what was also interesting is the, the, reach, the recent divestment of, um, from pubs and clubs from a major supermarket. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting yeah, because so. obviously, like, the, you know, the, in terms of the... The brands of these organisations that have, um, you know, corporate sustainability brands, you know, the fact that they own, I don't know, 300 pubs, 
you know, that could seriously be exposing them to money laundering risks. And it goes back to the point. So so why would they have done that divestment? Yeah. One of those reasons would be, well, they've got a better understanding of what their risk um, profile is. Okay, so parts of my business are in this this, this is the nature and size and complexity of my organisation. Does that sit within the appetite of the board? And if it doesn't, what action are they going to take? And in this case, it could, you know, that could have been one of the reasons in terms of that divestment. So, I think you know they're all the cause and effect are all linked here. So, I mean, discussing all of that, and I think you probably touched on this from the, the very early stages. Um, I mean, what would be the ideal ideal situation when looking at explainability and defendability? Well, I think you've got to you've got to understand your business. That's really what you've got to do, yeah. and you've got to really understand the drivers of the business, and really, how how am I as an organisation, given everything that we talked about in terms of the products that I offer, you know, what are the inherent nature or risks that sit within various products, and how do I actually distribute those products to the market? You know, who are my customers? What are they doing? What you know, what is what is um, usual or unusual about the customers that I'm dealing with, what's the broader context of the operating environment. So so all of that is really having a deep understanding of their business to start with. But once they've got that, they need to actually be able to have a, 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 a risk assessment framework that is, um, it's got a decent methodology behind it, that it's actually um, logical. Mm. It, you know, you can actually follow the the process um, and that you can actually go through a, a way. So obviously some of the technology that we've built as a firm, uh, AML Accelerate in particular, I mean, we've got 150-odd clients across 15 different industry sectors in six countries that are using that, ranging from banks, credit unions, insurance companies, gaming firms, right the way down to small, medium-sized businesses. Um, you know, they like that technology because um, it basically it's clear, it's transparent, it's maintained by experts and they can go through a, a, a guided process and be able to document, you know, what decisions are they, are they making as they go through that? What controls do they have in place? You know, why did they, what's the rationale for concluding the risks uh, assessment in the way that they have and then tailoring the AML program to to the, to those risks? So I think, I think, you know, there are tools out there available. Um, it's just, and it's becoming increasingly important to understand the risk profile because if like i said before if you if you don't have a good handle on your risk profile one you're exposing your board because they're personally accountable for the risk profile of the organization mm. and all the consequences that come with getting it wrong and if austrac come knocking on the door and ask you to explain the risk assessment profile and you are not able to do that then that is a really bad outcome too because ultimately the whole regime is risk-based and it's premised on that deep understanding of risk management. And if you, if you don't understand risks, you, you, you're running huge, huge risks yourself. So I think you've been doing it all along. Um, advice has been implicit in, in all your answers. But I guess if I were, if you were to boil it down to just a few key points, what advice do you have for risk and compliance professionals you know, who are trying to get this right? Yeah, I think... Um, like in terms of risk and compliance professionals, like in, in, in some ways, particularly in the small, medium-sized businesses, um, they're under a lot of pressure because AML risk is only one part of their portfolio. Yeah. So I think I think that, that can be overwhelming depending on the size of the organisation, the resources that are really dedicated uh, to that. So I think, 
you know, where there, where there is help out there um, in terms of, or how do they keep across all of the regulatory change that is occurring? Because it's occurring a lot, you know. And so um, I just encourage people to, to look at smarter ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think spreadsheets that have been used for 12, 13 years um, are, you know, they're not fit for purpose in this day and age in terms of, like, you can't document a field level you know, who's made a change to a risk assessment and, uh, you know, what's the audit trail, who said what, when and why. Right. So, and that all goes to defendability. And if you're trying to manage that change management across a spreadsheet, that's going to be very, very hard. It's going to be even harder if you're running that across multiple, you know, lines of business, product lines, geographic lines or what have you. So you kind of got to think, you know, we're in 2019. The, 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 the stakes have never been higher for getting this right their personal liability and and reputation in terms of the advice that they're giving to their business, um, if they're not thinking smartly about how they can do that to present the best, um, you know, the best understanding of the risk management framework to their, to their boards and they, that's, that's a potential issue for them personally too. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Anthony. Yeah, thanks, Carmen. Always good to talk to you, mate. Thank you for listening to the GRC Professional Podcast. This podcast was produced by the GRC Institute, and the original music was written by Rob Neary. Mm-hmm.